At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I people make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little bit of money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, put it in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CNBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. Admit it. Admit it. When you first heard about artificial intelligence, whoa, you were suspicious. Wasn't it all hype? Who could it really help besides, say, Amazon, which is always trying to figure out what else you might want from your purchasing history? Wasn't everything else just kind of a given? As more companies started talking about AI, our suspicion only grew. ChatGPT might be a lot of fun, but it felt like kind of a parlor trick rather than a business opportunity. Generative AI just seemed like a product in search of a need, but eventually it started driving up the whole market, creating days like today where the Dow gained 322 points, S&P jumped 1.03%, ASDAQ pulled a nice 1.26%. Oh, a smart snapback from yesterday's sudden and vicious sell-up. But here we are one year after the AI demon was unleashed, and people are still finally trying to figure out what to do with the darn thing. It'll be left behind, though. This morning, we saw how broad the use cases for AI are growing, though, when Micron, MU, the gigantic chip maker, reported a true blowout quarter and told us that AI is causing a gigantic refresh for all sorts of tech, from cell phones and personal computers to autos and the Internet of Things. Well, isn't that just about everybody? As Micron said, and I quote, We are in the very early stages of a multi-year growth phase catalyzed and driven by generative AI, and this disruptive technology will eventually transform every aspect of business and society, end quote. Micron's comments propel the whole tech complex, as they should, because it really is a whole new world. Right now, people are still scrambling to figure out how best to use their own data to find patterns, maybe make their jobs better. Not everyone knows what to do with it. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why I like the stock of Snowflake so much. Many companies, when they hear of AI, don't want to spend a fortune on equipment, which is why they rent the cloud via Snowflake, then try to figure out what AI can do for them. We are, though, starting to see some real examples, and seems like Micron is very right, and that AI is very compelling for many businesses. What are the main uses? What's driving this incredible demand that Micron's seeing now that we're a year in? Well, I went right to the source. I went to ChatGPT and my buddy pal friend Bard over at Google to see what people are using generative AI for. And it's pretty darn cool, even as Bard admonishes that determining the absolute top 10 uses, can I quote, be subjective depending on the perspective and emphasis, end quote. What a weasel. Chat just gives it to you straight. No hedging. 
First, my Shakespearean AI buddy says, in so many words, that people are actually checking their brain and letting Bard do the creativity with art and music generation. Everything from stunning visuals, photorealistic landscapes, abstract paintings to original music. Kind of like the music that accompanies an NVIDIA presentation or the machine I commanded to draw me an oxymoronic Cezanne seascape when I was at NVIDIA. It can write storylines and games or scripts. Then why do the writers went on strike? Of course, website copy, child's play. Healthcare. AI is superior drug discovery because it can blow through immense data sets to find promising drug candidates. It can help diagnose, too, much better at interpreting an MRI than a human can. It also has the potential to personalize medicine, although we haven't gotten that far on that one yet. Oh, it's got all sorts of productivity enhancements, too. AI can come up with new product concepts and variations. It can innovate and optimize, which probably speaks to our own inadequacies. And it can create chatbots and virtual assistants that can do routine things. But so far, I've found that to be incredibly annoying if you're asking anything different from a standard query. Because when it gets stumped, you get routed to planet Mars. Remember, this is Bard taking the data and bragging. But it can create synthetic data and it can train other machines to be better being machines. It can create personalized learning material to make education more engaging which is a borderline impossible task for most humans. Bard does point out that this is just a glimpse, but to me, it's pretty clear that anything I can do, Bard can do better. Anything Bard can do, I can do worse. Yes, it can. ChatGPT is more of the point, just direct. It says generative AI is good at advanced language translation. It can have natural and context-aware conversations. It can imagine and synthesize tasks, offer realistic image generation, do medical imaging and diagnosis, as well as help gaming development and creating molecular structures while making better compounds for medicine, not to mention assessing risk and market trends and generating financial reports for all sorts of businesses. Or to translate, albeit not as well as my pal Bard or ChatGPT could, Generative artificial intelligence can pretty much do whatever it wants, anything we want it to. And if we don't ask it, another enterprise will, and that competitor will get the answer faster and better than we can arrive at it, which is why everybody is ordering all this stuff. More important, it's very hard to come up with something your brain does that AI doesn't do in a smarter, faster fashion. Off the top of your head, go back to when you were at school. Wouldn't you say that other than recess, it's more efficient and effective than anything you tried to learn and they tried to teach? At least we still have the monkey bars, Seesaws? Compared to AI, uh, we're just slouches. I mean, as someone who was tracked in track four of four, with the one being the best, I can tell you that hands down, I can't think of a thing that I learned that's valuable now versus what I can get from these machines. We should have just sat there and watched Our Mr. Sun or that movie about the dinosaurs walking to their death in the desert. Enjoyed ourselves. But then again, I don't want to sell any of these too short. I got real smart after track four and got summa cum laude in my general exams at Harvard. But I can tell you once again that that was mainly because I have trouble sleeping so I could stay up for a 48-hour cram session and still take the test really well. What's scary is that I think Bard, uh, not, not ChatGPT, but I think Bard could have crushed me. Uh, all that study for nothing. Okay, I digress. Here's what's really crazy. Both programs managed to spit out pretty much everything that we humans need to do at the office. In the old days, scientists and technicians and engineers would find ways to obviate jobs where we, we had to use our hands. Now it seems to obviate our brains. So, to go full circle, because AI is so amazing, we may never again have enough semiconductors to meet the demand of all those use cases, because it's hard to think of something these two programs really can't do. Yes, tonight we have Cintas, which delivers uniforms and safety, safety equipment to a million clients, but they like Google Cloud, uh, probably immune. 
Uh, Domino's Pizza, hard to think that machines couldn't do better. How about uh, talking with they use Microsoft? Levi's, good company, but I wouldn't be surprised if AI can't, can't make it better. These tasks all seem like the height of machines' creativity. But you know what? We're actually still just in the first year of the explosion. The good news, generative AI can't do everything. The bad news, what it can do, it does better than we'll ever do, unless maybe you're Einstein or Beethoven or Oppenheimer and Mozart. I would want to say Picasso and Matisse, but I've seen what those two can do with modern art, and nobody's safe in that profession anymore. Bottom line, once AI really gets going, boy, will we ever have a lot of time on our hands. All the more reason to invest in stocks now before the robots put us out of work and all the easy money has been made. Let's go to Dustin in Colorado. Dustin. Hey, Jim. It's Dustin. Uh, how you doing? Dustin, I'm all set for you. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. I just had a question Dustin? about uh, Campbell's. I was Hit thinking the about... Uh... Button. Give me a question, please. Oh, Campbell's? There, Dustin, how are you? I'm doing okay. I was, I was thinking about uh, uh, Campbell's where, uh, you know, it's going to be the coldest time of the year coming up, and I'm thinking with it being pretty low, I'm thinking it would be a... Uh, a pretty good start to pick. I was seeing what you, what you had. Well, you know what? Uh, this is just you know, Mark Klaus is in. And this is what speaks to how tough it is at Campbell's. I think Mark Klaus is a brilliant business person, a veteran. He's done great things. And yet every single thing he's done and he still can't get the earnings breakout. I want to hold on to it, too. And not just because, boy, I don't know if you had the seasonal uh, Pepperidge Farm, but they are killers. But we got to wait. Sam in Pennsylvania, please. Sam. Jim, before I begin, I just would like to point out, I saw you this morning discuss the uh, single-day options and that price action yesterday, and I just want to highlight, I think that's something we should be paying attention to. You're absolutely um, right. We, we, did a good, we did a good piece uh, off the charts about it. Uh, I read through it again today. It is absolutely true. They, were in, they can be in control because they're 40% of the options market, so we got to be very careful on days where there's not a lot of volume. Sam, how do we go to work together? So, Jim, listen, now that we've got the Fed having talked about, act, you know, reducing interest rates, uh, demand for single-family housing has been nothing but strong. And as interest rates begin to decline, that is something that should only pick up. Um, one of the more important things that every single American house, almost every single American house has in there is Whirlpool. Um, and with interest rates coming down, I would expect Whirlpool to begin to do quite well. They do $20 billion in revenue. I, and it's got I know. Only- well, I got to tell you, Sam, I felt the same way. And Jeff Marks and I got together and we would put Whirlpool in our, we put it in the bullpen. I thought it was going to be a blowout quarter and they didn't deliver the quarter that I expected. So instead, we bought Stanley Black and Decker. And I think that's the better way to play the same theme. Right this morning, we saw just how broad the use cases for AI are and it propelled all of tech. I think you want to invest in the strong players now before the robots put us all out of jobs. We money tonight. Domino's laid out a five-year strategic plan called Hungry for More at its investor day earlier in the month. And I am learning more about what will drive the next level of growth for the pizza chain with the company CEO. Then trying to get a read on the economy heading into the new year? Look no further than Cintas. I'm seeing what the business services company has to say when it comes to their one million customers in North America. But first, Levi's is set to welcome former Kohl's CEO Michelle Goss as CEO beginning in January, and I'm getting the latest on the handover from the company's incoming and outgoing CEO. So stay with Kramer. 
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreated in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Domino's Pizza finally got its screwed back after peaking in late 2021. The stock struggled until the summer, in part, of course, thanks to a post-COVID hangover, but also because of competing online delivery services. For years, Domino's had the best app and the best delivery. But as DoorDash and Uber Eats got bigger, they had to deal with more and more rivals uh, who were willing to pay DoorDash to cut in order to get more business. Troublesome. But this July, Domino's announced that they'd be partnering with Uber Eats, and the market loved the news so much that the stock shot up nearly 40 bucks in response. Then we got another leg higher when the company reported a very solid quarter in October. So can this thing keep running? Let's check in with Russell Wieners, the CEO of Domino's Pizza, get a better read of the situation. Mr. Wiener, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, uh, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. Well, Happy I gotta, holidays. Uh, well, you know, Russell, it's just it's so great to have you. And the company feels, to me, very re-energized. A lot of the people at your uh, analyst day, a lot of the executives really told great stories. What is behind the newfound energy that gives you confidence enough to have very good promises to numbers for many years out now? Yeah, I think what we try to do is, is give two messages to analysts when they were here. One is... Domino's foundation has never been stronger. We are back. And secondly, we, we took them through our new uh, five-year plan. We call it Hungry for More. Uh, and Hungry for More delivers exactly what it sounds like in the title, more. More sales, more stores, and more profits. 
And to give you a sense, Jim, kind of big picture what this delivers, on the sales side, we're saying 7% plus. So 7% is the floor, but we're hungry to deliver more. 7% over the next five years, that's $7 billion. That's the equivalent to taking the number 10 restaurant in the U.S. and adding it to how big Domino's is today. Well, to me, you certainly give me a reason to think that it's true because one, pizza's personal and popular. Two, you guys have the absolute best system to now to deliver it. Everybody can have it. And third, I, the price is still right. I mean, all these things you told me when you, talk, when you came in were true, but I think you've only made each one of them better. Well, we appreciate it. I mean, it's certainly a, we have a great, great team here. And I think what really gave people a lot of confidence, you know, Look, we're, we're, we've always been honest and transparent um, with our customers and, and with you. Uh, these last couple of years, from a delivery standpoint, we weren't where we needed to be, but we went back and we fixed it, right? So our delivery times are back to where they were in 2019. What we talked about at the, uh, at the, at the earnings day was that Q4 to date, not only are delivery sales positive, but delivery orders, so transactions are positive. So our delivery business is back. And that's before you even add in any of the kind of tailwind we're getting from, from Uber. And so that's, that's why folks should have the confidence that the strategy that we put out is already starting to work. Now, you do have massive rich data, probably better than anybody, and you're doing generative AI. What have you been able to come up with so far that makes it so you'll be even, even faster and better? Well, what we're doing today is just to start. Jim, we start making the pizza before people actually order it, right? Our AI helps us with that. We bring it out to the driver before the driver even comes back. And so we're going to continue to build that. We call our operating system, um, the, the technology behind it, Dom OS. So it's Domino's operating system. And it's going to get smarter and smarter over time. You know, we're working with Microsoft on generative AI and how to, at the end of the day, my, my goal is to have just-in-time pizza making. That is brilliant. It really is, because that's what we want. I mean, as you say, throughout your analyst day, people want speed. I was surprised at how important speed really is to the point where they want emergency pizza. <laughs> well, emergency pizza was great. You know, what I love that our marketing department has been able to do, um, they did it with carryout tips, and they're doing it with emergency pizza. Jim, all emergency pizza is, it's a buy one, get one free. But to get one free is your emergency pizza. What a great way to think about promotional mechanism have been on for a long time, and we get folks like you talking about it. So I'm really proud of the team. We innovate on product, on technology, and in marketing. But at the same time, you're really doing a, a top-to-bottom redo of the technology. I thought the technology is great. It doesn't satisfy you. We are a work-in-progress brand. We wake up every day uh, asking ourselves, are we better than the day before? So our new loyalty program that we just launched, uh, it is fantastic. We um, have, over the last year, Jim, we've added about 2 million loyalty members, a million of them since September, since we launched a new program. What we did was we changed the program so users could get in at lower thresholds, $5 versus 10. And now you can also redeem at 20, 40, and 60 points, not just 60. And so all of a sudden, all these light users, you know, we've got 32 million uh, users in our loyalty database. We have 40 to 50 million additional users that tried our loyalty program, but didn't come back. And now we have a much more compelling program. Well, I also think that people maybe listen to you and say, well, how about the other guys? You have some statistics that you present on the analyst day. The other guys are closing a huge amount of stores while you're opening stores. 
I am so proud of our system. Uh, we went back to 2015 uh, during Analyst Day because that's when we launched our loyalty program. So the numbers I'll give you are between um, uh, you know, 15 and 22. Uh, in the U.S., we'd opened up 1,600 stores net, and our competition, our, our two public competitors combined, closed about 1,300 total. And so you, so you look at that difference, and, you, and, and, and that's part of why our shares increased. Our share over that time period, 2015, you know, up through uh, analyst day, is up almost nine and a half points. And we've taken from the, the national competitors, we've taken from the local chains and the regional chains. And one of the reasons I, I'm so impressed by what you're doing is it's clear that's great domestic, international. You have not even scratched, I'm going to say not even scratched the surface of the countries that want Domino's Pizza. Yeah, I mean, our international team, it's such a special business. You know, history, 30 straight years of positive same-store sales is amazing. And there are so many special things about our international business. But, you know, this one to me is, is the one that gives me the most confidence, is seven of our master franchisees internationally make up about 80% of our volume internationally. Those seven companies are all public. And so not only are they accountable to us, but right now, one of them is getting quizzed by a Jim Cramer, maybe in, in you know, in, in, in Japan or in China. Um, and so they're, be, they're accountable to the market. And so when you think about a go forward strategy as an investor or as a, a leader here at Domino's, you say, wow, man, they're, they're accountable to investors and to us. Just incredible. And one last thing, when we talked about when, when Uber Eats was announced, uh, I was very excited about it. But it turns out that I think that the enthusiasm wasn't even great enough. That's how, how well this is working out. Well, I'll tell you, we have not even gotten started. I, had, I just had a, a lunch call today with Dara. We were talking about how, how great so far this test is going. We plan on really turning things on, the marketing on in, in late January, and uh, would, are really excited to watch the ramp up throughout the year. And remember, it's a billion-dollar net opportunity for us aggregators. Uber is just the first piece of it. Well, look, I want to congratulate you. I've never, I, you know, it's been a long time since I've been, I know I've been as excited about Domino's, not the pizza. I loved it the whole way. But what you're doing is just terrific. That's Russell Wiener, CEO of Domino's Pizza. Thanks for coming on, Russell, and happy holidays. Thanks. Thanks so much. You too. All right. Yeah, buddy, back here for the break. Coming up, is this durable denim dealer poised to deliver in the new year? With a CEO transition around the corner, there's no time to waste. Kramer gets the full riveting story next. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
There's a change of the guard underway at Levi Strauss and Company, the denim powerhouse. Two weeks ago, we learned that longtime CEO Chip Berg will be retiring next year with President Michelle Goss, formerly the CEO of Kohl's, taking his place effective January 29th. Although Berg's sticking around as vice chairman until the official retirement date in April and then as a senior advisor until next November. This has been in the works for over a year now when they brought in Michelle Goss to lead Levi's brands, along with the company's digital and commercial operations. And she's taking over one of the best front apparel companies in America. So let's take a close look with Chip Berg, the president and outgoing CEO of Levi's, and Michelle Goss, the president and next CEO, who's joining us from CNBC's one market studio in San Francisco. Mr. Berg, Ms. Goss, welcome back to Mad Bunny. Thank you, Jim. Great to be here. Great to see you again, Jim. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, Chip, you've been the head of the company since 2011. A terrific time at the historic Levi's. Uh, What have you been able to do with the brand over the last 12 years that you're most proud of? Well, it's been a great run, Jim, and 12 and a half years have really flown by. But, um, you know, I think probably the thing I'm most proud of is I'm leaving the company in a very, very different place than it was when I got here. Um, The brand was... Uh, had lost its way, and we've put the brand back at the center of culture, and arguably the, the Levi's brand today is stronger around the world than it has ever been. Um, and our foundation and our fundamentals are all really, really strong. But at the end of the day, I think I'm going to look back, and the thing I'm going to be most proud of is a very successful transition to my successor, Michelle. And I'm super excited about Um, leaving the company in really, really good hands with somebody who's got the capabilities and the skill set that's going to take this company to the next level. Well, let's go to Michelle. Michelle, you could you put Coles, you could do any job. Why did you pick Levi's? Well, first off, let me just say it's just such an honor and a privilege to be following this guy, um, someone who I've had deep respect and admiration for. We've known each other for more than a decade now. And I mean, Jim, it's Levi's. I mean, it is one of the most beloved and iconic brands in the world. Um, It's a business and brand that not only does great business, but also does it the right way with the culture and values and how we take care of our people and communities and our consumers. And then the opportunity. I mean, this business and brand has been around for 170 years. It was the 150th anniversary this year of the 501, as a matter of fact. Um, and to have this much legacy and heritage, yet, as we look ahead, so much opportunity. I mean, as I came in, um, Chip and the team put in place great strategies, which is about putting the brand ahead of everything. Second, DTC first and making that pivot to become a retailer. And third, diversifying our business across channels, brands, categories. All of those are working, and I see lots of opportunity going forward. Let's go with with your latter point. Uh, On the last conference call, you talked about making it more of a lifestyle brand. Can you please explain that to our audience who may not be as uh, close to the apparel business as you are? Yeah, you bet. So, I think we would all say today that Levi's is famous for jeans, for denim bottoms. And um, as we've traveled around the world, let me say I've seen firsthand, we've gone to more than 15 markets, that in many of these markets, Levi's is much more than that. And what we, the way we describe it is denim lifestyle. And as a matter of fact, over the last decade, even under Chip's leadership, 
business like Tops has more than doubled. And we're just sort of at the beginning chapter of what can be, as people think about Levi's, as truly an apparel brand, or what I'd say a denim lifestyle brand. Now, what that means in practice, Jim, is first you go to where you have the authority and how people love you, which is around denim, head-to-toe denim. So that's denim shirts, denim skirts, denim dresses. And I would say, as someone who's a woman, I wear a lot of things besides jeans. And today, we're very underpenetrated in categories like denim skirts. And that's just one example of you know how we really see this this massive unlock to pivot the company from being known as jeans to being truly a denim apparel lifestyle company. Right, now, Chip, what you've done to be able to make it for what Michelle's talking about is be able to provide us with Levi's wherever we want it to be, whether direct to consumer or wholesale. But one thing you've done, there's five of them, but this most recent one sounds great, the House of Strauss in Mexico City. It, can House of Strauss be in every kind of cool city that we want to go to? Well, I don't know if we're going to put it in every single cool city, Jim, but the House of Strauss is a capability that we landed upon and we really leverage it for center of culture moments that we can turn into great PR activation. Um, we were down at the House of Strauss in Mexico City when the Giants were playing there back in April, and it was an amazing activation. And we got, you know, hundreds of millions of impressions just from one single event. So. We do have uh, five houses of Strauss, House of Strausses around the world, and um, we have the potential for a few more. Um, we've got a new one that's going to open in Paris ahead of the Olympics next summer, and we're really excited about how the team activates around the House of Strauss. But, M- Michelle, are there some areas that you think are dramatically underpenetrated that can be terrific? A lot of people are discovering, including you, that India turns out to be insanely good once you're in the culture. It's very hard from 30,000 feet, but are you discovering that maybe India should be a a central point to sell Levi's? Absolutely, Jim. I mean, the international opportunities for this brand and this business are incredible. Like I said, we traveled the world this year, more than 15 markets. And in in markets like India, it feels like we're just getting started. I mean, it's a relatively small business for us today. The brand is on fire. Um, it's a youthful population. It's a big population. And that is one example of a market that has tremendous upside. We made three trips to Asia this past year. And in every market we went to, whether it was the Philippines or Thailand or even Japan, China, you name it, um, we're just scratching the surface. And not just Asia, but Chip was just talking about Mexico. Latin America is another big growth market for us. So that's one of my key priorities. Um, It has been for both of us. But as we transition, um, international expansion is going to be top of the list as we think about our growth prospects going forward. It's clear Michelle knows what she's doing, Chip. But what have you passed on to her in the last year that you're most proud of? Wow. Um, I, I think probably, you know, the board, if you step back and think about succession planning, the board was really, really insistent that whoever was going to be my successor needed to come from inside. And I give her a lot of credit for the humility that it took, the humility and the courage to join as a, as a sitting CEO to come in as company president to spend a year Um, You know, working for me and learning the company and the culture and everything else. But I think probably the biggest thing that was really important for Michelle to understand was the culture and how we activate around our values. And, um, you know, we we are a company that has a long track record of not being afraid to take stands on important issues of the day. 
and and I and and Michelle is wired the same way as I am, and uh, and has worked for companies that are very very activated as well. And but it was important for her to kind of see it from the inside and how we operate that, how we work with the board of directors on when we are going to take stands and uh, kind of experience that firsthand before she's actually sitting in the chair. Well, Michelle, I want to talk about that because uh, there is this whole new rise of the, let's just call it the Shein economy, where I thought we had gotten rid of them. I thought that when Chip took me to show how clothes are really made in terms of being able to preserve the environment and keep a keep dignity involved with the people who make the product, that this new stuff seems to get antithetical. It's like a throwback. Can you stay on course that Chip has put you on for the environment and for worker dignity? Oh, 100%, Jim. I mean, this is, again, something I knew about the company coming in. I've had a year to study all aspects of the business, including our sustainability efforts, our, our values-based approach. I mean, I love, uh, for many years, we've talked about driving profits through principles, and I'm 100%, um, you know, I'm 100% signed up for that. You know, this is a company that's been around 170 years, and challenges come and go, um, but we've stood the test of time, and that's all been through growing the business, but growing it in the right way. So could not be more aligned with um, the way we grow our business. Now, I know you've been in for a while now, but what for the first, give me what you want to do for, say, the first 100 days. What's most important? Yeah. Well, we talked about a couple, which is continuing to accelerate our international growth. Second, you know, this enormous opportunity we have to grow categories, but do it thoughtfully through the lens of denim and Levi's. And then I'd say the biggest thing, Jim, is pivoting the company, this transformation to operating this business as a wholesale denim's bottoms business to truly an apparel lifestyle retailer and become a best-in-class omni-channel retailer. I have a ton of passion for this. We're already a retailer today. It's more than 40% of our business. We see that growing to 55% and beyond as we grow this company to 9 to 10 billion. And there's tremendous opportunity. I mean, we all get really excited because there's nothing like having that consumer right in the center. And when you're in retail, you get to interact with that customer every single day and understand um, what their needs are at. And so we are rewiring the company. I mean, a great example is our go-to-market. I think we both say today it's too long. Um, our go-to-market, how we develop products, is 12 to 15 months. It has to get a lot faster so we can be faster, more responsive, more agile, and more efficient as we do these things. Well, I bet you, Jim, this whole pivot... If, if I, this, this whole pivot to, to direct to consumer first, I mean, we have always been a wholesaler first company, and it is a key reason why Michelle is absolutely the right person to take this company forward. She has uh, almost 30 years of, of really deep retail experience, and we need to make this hard pivot. Now that we really are a retailer, you know, 40 plus percent of our revenues we need to make this hard pivot to really run the company as if we were a vertical retailer. And, and that's the skill set that she's going to bring that's going to help take this company to the next level. All right. Well, Chip, you'll be very missed. Michelle, welcome. I don't want to say aboard because you've been there, but it sounds like you've got all the right plans. And I can't wait to talk with you about the next hundred. I don't know. How about another hundred and fifty leave, leave, <laughs> yeah. Levi's? Why not? Why can't it be like that? Absolutely. To Michelle Goss yes. and, and, to, and to Chip Berg, thank you so much for coming from San Francisco, but really coming from Levi's. Great to see you guys. Thanks, thank you, Jim. Jim. Yeah, buddy, be back here for the break. Coming up, dress for the job you have? The workplace apparel player is looking spiffy after earnings. Kramer's got the CEO next. 
Now, this is a great story. As we approach the new year, everyone wants to figure out what the economy is going to look like in 2024. We've heard it from Federal Reserve officials. We've heard from in-house economists, major investment firms. And, of course, we've heard it from countless strategists, many of whom were dead wrong about 2023. But rather than taking their top-down approach, I am much more of a bottoms-up guy, meaning I like to focus on how individual companies are doing, especially companies with a great read on the most important areas of the economy. Take Cintas, which mainly sells or rents uniforms, but also provides everything from mats to mops, restrooms, restroom supplies, first aid, fire safety. That's a big one. The basics of what you need to fill the workplace. These guys have their finger on the pulse of the economy, especially the labor market. So when Cintas reported just a smash-down quarter today, oh, wow, this stock flew. They delivered a top and bottom line surprise, 9% organic growth. Management raised full-year sales and earnings forecast pretty dramatically. No wonder the stock jumped more than 6%, capping off a great year. Let's take a closer look with Todd Schneider. He's the president and CEO of Cintas to learn more about this quarter and the year. Mr. Schneider, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to see you again. And you're right. We had a great quarter. We grew our revenue by 9.3%. We grew our uh, operating margin percentage by, uh, or excuse me, my, our gross margin percentage by 100 basis points. We grew our EPS by 15.6%. We raised our guidance for the year on the top and bottom line. And we bought back $320 million worth of stock during the uh, second quarter. Uh, and then lastly, our dividend, uh, year, uh, December over December, we raised it by 17.1%. So we're really operating on all cylinders. And uh, you're correct. We have a great view of how, um, how the, the customers are doing out there, how uh, uh, the economy is performing. And what we see is uh, we service everybody from the Fortune 50, which will be a uh, household name, to uh, Main Street USA, everything in between, including goods producing, services providing in every uh, uh, geography that's out there. In general, our, our customer base is very solid and we're seeing really good results. Now, one of the reasons I think that's occurring is because our value proposition is really attractive. Right. How right. we help customers with image, safety, cleanliness, and compliance, uh, they're very strong. They're strong buying motives and the customers, I think, uh, is resonating well, with them. People have to recognize that this is twofold. Amazing retention. And the cross-sell, I mean, it's, you know, to me, I cannot believe how many things you can put through. I mean, they may start with uniforms, but there's fire and safety. Everyone needs fire and safety. It's incredible. But all the other ancillaries that come through, how are you able to get this pipe to be so big and so repeatedly filled? Well, uh, we can grow in many different ways. Uh, you mentioned our new business. Our new business is really robust. Our retention levels are really attractive. Our cross-sale is going great. And, uh, and keep in mind, we service a little over a million customers, but there's 16 million businesses in the U.S. and Canada. So we have a real long runway. Now, uh, uh, our first aid and safety business and our fire division, and by the way, the fire division is the only business that we're in where you legally have to have it as a business. So that's really attractive. But our first aid and uh, safety division is benefiting uh, significantly from cross-sale because we have so many customers in the rental division that allow to cross-sell. So uh, uh, a great example is this, and uh, I'll tell you, the customers were really valuing this. As you know, we provide AEDs uh, to our customers, and uh, a, a great example of this, our AEDs that we have out in the marketplace, on average, we save one life per week with the AEDs that we provide. 
And uh, I don't know a uh, higher value of, of going to work every single day than saving lives. Uh, so uh, we're really proud of that. And uh, it doesn't it's not hard to get up in the morning for our people to go to work. As you should be proud. Now, you also go above and beyond. And I don't necessarily think you can make a lot of money initially. But clean rooms, you built your own clean rooms? Yeah, we've been in the clean room business for many years, uh, but we have uh, see additional uh, needs coming. So we've added capacity. We built a clean room in North Carolina. We built a clean room in Wisconsin to service geographies around that. Uh, and uh, there are more and more companies every single year that have a clean room level of requirement of uh, what their garments come back to them. So whatever the particulate level is of how they, uh, the cleaning requirement they have, uh, that's what we're providing. We see the pharmaceutical industry. We see biotechnology, uh, 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 other companies, even the auto companies, aerospace, uh, all have that level of requirement of cleaning. Uh, and we see some reshoring going on in the uh, pharmaceutical industry. And uh, we want to make sure that we're in a great position to service those customers and meet those demands. At the same time, some benefits from lower commodity prices. You actually are seeing a little deflation in your system. Yeah, we, uh, we watch commodity prices really closely. Uh, energy, uh, specifically, we watch closely uh, for two reasons. One is they're great customers of ours, but the other item is it's an input cost to us. And uh, we know energy markets go up and they go down, uh, but here's what we know we'll be consistently approaching is we want to mitigate the utilization that we have uh, from an energy standpoint. So we have a group of partners that are Six Sigma Black Belts. Uh, we have data analytics people. We have engineer professionals. Uh, and we also have IT professionals that all work collaboratively to give us transparency into what's going on on our routes and what's going on in our processing facilities to mitigate the demand we have for our energy uh, and ultimately, we know, again, prices will go up and go down in energy. But what won't change is our approach to mitigating our use for that energy. Well, it's incredible how well you've done. I mean, of course, the Fed tightened and tightened and tightened. It didn't hurt your business at all. And I know you're coming in hot into the next year. I would congratulate you. And buying back your stock turned out to be a pretty good investment, too. Thank you for restoring and get the dividend above where it was before uh, the pandemic. You've just done a lot of things right, Todd. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. Jim, thanks so much for having me. Happy holidays to you and your family. Same to you. That's Todd Schneider, president and CEO of Cintas Long, one of my favorite companies. Bad money's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls. And the sky's the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Guys, over the lightning round, Curtis, let's start with Ryan in Ohio. Ryan. Me too. Hey, brother. How you doing, Check partner? Check out the chart, lad. I'm great. Um, thank you so much. Last week, we went off the charts with Charlie Garner. Took the hints. Time to get some oil. What are your thoughts on Occidental? Oxano's not bad. Warren Buffett likes it. I still prefer Coterra because I want that I want the that optionality of natural gas, which is so low right now. Let's go to John in Maryland. John. Hey Jim. First off, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you. I and same to you. Thoughts. Sure. I need your thoughts on SoFi. I got in at seven dollars and it's been a roller coaster ride. 
It seems like Wall Street doesn't know how to evaluate this business on whether it's a bank or a fintech stock. Do I take the profit or write it out? John, you you have correctly identified the biggest problem. People don't know which one it is. I say it's a company run by Anthony Noto that has been bringing in people and depositors and doing a great job by offering a terrific service. And that is a money good thing no matter what business is in, which is why I've been recommending it for so long. Let's go to John in Kentucky. John. Booyah, Ken. I'm Jim. (laughs) Uh, I I got a question about uh, an energy stock. Sure. EQT. Uh, it's a gas uh, E and P company uh, in the Utica and the Marcellus. John, you got this Toby Rice. He finds the oil and gas where it should be. I think it's actually more natural gas. I think that is an absolutely terrific company. Jeff Marks and I are trying to figure out how to add another oil or another natural gas company. EQT is a real winner. Let's go to Tom in Virginia. Tom. Yeah. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. Your guidance has been making my account look pretty. Right now, I'm evaluating a fast-growing fintech company based in Brazil, and it has expanding to other Latin American countries. It provides a full banking services for those who might have to use cash. It has a highly scalable business model. Management execution is excellent. Last quarter, it beat on uh, yeah. Last quarter, it beat on both the expected revenues and profits. The stock price has reacted by doubling year-to-date, though. Okay. My stock is new holding. New holding NU is actually a winner. You're absolutely right. I would like to take NU. And I also, by the way, let me throw in Banco Santander at SAN. This can be a twofer for joining the show. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up. 10 Things I Hate About You. Kramer takes aim at the year gone by. Highlights with hindsight when we return. Why did so many money managers get it wrong in 2023? I blame it on orthodoxy and momentum. But really, you'd be surprised how easy it is to get a whole year wrong, especially when it involves a major pivot. Remember in the spring we had old-fashioned bank runs when we discovered that some regional players had put too much money in long-duration bonds that were holding to maturity? That's fine in normal times, but the value of those bonds got crushed by the Fed. And then, in some cases, they had to be sold to pay off fleeing depositors. That's what happened to Silicon Valley Bank. The the money just flew out through what felt like a Twitter-led bank run. In response, we saw a sharp decline in every bank stock, aside from the few obvious bastions of safety like J.P. Morgan, and an equally sharp move into what I call the nation-state stocks, huge companies with great balance sheets that simply don't need to borrow any money. Those became Magnificent Seven. Almost nobody saw the bank runs coming, so I don't blame anyone for being wrong in March. Second, even though the bears didn't call the bank run, it made them feel like they were right for being negative. So what did they do? They dug in their heels. Sages like Mike Wilson, who'd be dead right in 2022, turned out to be dead wrong in 2023. You know, it's an old as the hills problem, not switching directions after a long period of being negative and being right. The ranks of strategists are littered with dogmatic thinkers who refuse to change their minds and audibly made themselves look like fools. Third factor in people getting 2023 wrong, very few people believe that Jay Powell could effectively pivot, taking rates just high enough to be able to beat inflation without crushing the economy. 
They didn't think he could engineer a soft landing, even though that's pretty much ultimately what he's done. Fourth, long-term interest rates soared over the summer, in large part thanks to a poorly arranged bond issuance schedule. At one point, long rates looked like they were headed for 6%. Then the bond issuance schedule got updated, and long rates quickly went to 4% and change. An extremely bullish development almost nobody saw coming. Fifth, the dangerous world worn by Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan, did not prove to be a good reason to sell stocks. Dimon was right that it's a dangerous world, no doubt, but the stock market only cares about earnings, and those really weren't threatened. Six, just when tech seemed to be rolling over, generative AI burst on the scene and changed everything. It turned tech from a pariah into a golden child that could do no wrong, while allowing NVIDIA to join the trillionaire club. Seventh, the Fed mostly managed to tame inflation. And while it can roar back, right now, Jay Powell has left himself enough room to delay rate cuts if he has to. Eighth, I always tell you not to listen to billionaires when it comes to money management because the super rich are super risk averse. This year was a perfect example. They love to come on TV and preach endless negativity, scaring many out of the market because we assume anyone that's wealthy must know what they're talking about. No, they do actually know what they're talking about, but their advice is useless unless you happen to have a similar net worth. Ninth, the bears didn't pay attention to individual stocks. They're all about the S&P 500, so they missed a lot of what was going right at the company level. Finally, they got it wrong because bear markets tend not to last all that long. They come to an end, and then once everyone's capitulated like they did in October, we get the next generation of bulls. It's a time-honored tradition. I didn't enjoy the experience, but it got us here. Just don't forget how it happened. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.